The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time, she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation, and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about a trek to Kilimanjaro, and I found this article in Radio TV Interview Magazine about this gentleman and his son, who took a trip uh, to Kilimanjaro, Kilimanjaro, and it's called Zombies on Kilimanjaro, A Father-Son Journey Above the Clouds. And I thought, how interesting, because they were able to really transform and enhance their relationship. And since we talk about conflict healing on this show, I thought this would be a really interesting way to to get into relationships and communication and what a way to do it but to go on a trip like this. Let me tell you a little bit about this wonderful gentleman, Tim Ward. Uh, Tim Ward is an author, publisher, teacher, and traveler, and he's written five books about his travels through Thailand, oh, I love Thailand, India, China, Tibet, Greece, Southern Europe, and most recently, East Africa. His stories have appeared in 13 anthologies, including Traveler's Tales Best Travel Writing from 2006 to 2012. And Tim is also the publisher of Changemaker Books, an imprint of John Hunt Publishing, dedicated to books on personal and global transformation. And together with John Hunt, Tim wrote The Author's Guide to Publishing and Marketing, a book to help new authors succeed. He also co-owns a global training business, Intermedia Communications Training, which I found out he actually trains people on how to do media interviews. And here I was trying to tell him about this show and what he needed to do, and he already could have taught me. Anyway, so he has that, and he does that training with his wife and business partner, Teresa Erickson, and they teach scientists, economists, and all sorts of experts on how to communicate effectively and they live in beautiful Maryland where Tim spends his spare time kayaking in the Potomac and planning his next mountain trek. You can learn more about him at zombieskilimanjaro.com and you can find out about this book and we're going to talk about it right now. So thank you so much for joining us, Tim. Mari, I'm delighted to be a guest on your show. Well, this is fun. On your on the surface, your book Zombies on Kilimanjaro is really about climbing a mountain, but the real story has a lot more to do with healing your relationship with your son, and I thought that was really why I brought you on the show. Tell us more about that. 
Well, uh, Josh was 20 at the time that he and I did this climb. And um, that's actually, I, I think it's a really difficult age for not only many uh, young adults, but also for their, their parents as they're leaving home and they're, they're finding their own new identities. And, and for Josh and I, uh, this transition was even made more difficult by the fact that he had grown up uh, in, uh, in two households for all of his life. His mother and I got divorced when he was less than a year old, and he spent really his entire life a week with me and then a week with her going back and forth between these two households. And then when he was in his last year of high school, uh, he uh, and I were fighting a fair amount about uh, grades and other things, and he basically said to me, Dad, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And he left and he went and he, and he lived with his mother full-time, and I actually didn't see him for six months. Mm. It, so it was a really harsh and, and tough break. Oh, I don't think, Mary, I don't think I've ever been so angry in my entire life. Yeah. Uh, but then after uh, the, the break, we came back together. We saw each other now and then, but he never again returned to live at, at my house. And this uh, journey up Mount Kilimanjaro was the first time we were going to spend that much time alone since the break, which had happened two and a half years earlier. So uh, I had a fair amount of um, uh, anticipation about it. It was going to be great having this time together with Josh, but also some dread in the pit of my in the pit of my stomach because we were going to be spending that much time just the two of us on this stark and uh, isolated mountain. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it is hard when you're a child of divorce and when you're a parent, when you have a child that goes back and forth. I can really relate to that because the same kind of thing happened with me and my daughter, who is mm. now 27. So I have been through that and it kind of I really could relate quite a bit to that. So, you know, when when we talk about relationships, you know, how how did you begin the conversation with your son? Well, the, uh, the the easy way was, um, Josh, I'm going to be in uh, in, in Africa <laughs> this summer next to Mount Kilimanjaro, and when I'm done, I'm thinking of climbing it, and you were my first choice of a partner. <laughs> <laughs> Did he think you were nuts or what? Yeah, he's no dummy, right? He knows a good offer when it came, when it came his way. So he he just said, um, okay, I'm I'm in, and he's a rather impulsive uh uh, guy and and um, he probably didn't think too much about what this might actually mean for our relationship. We we spent most of our time preparing, uh, thinking more about gear and uh, and fitness and what kind of shots uh, we we both needed before going to to Africa. And as I said, I was there working at the time. He um, and I flew him over when my work was when my work was done. So we really you know started when we were face to face when I when I met him at Kilimanjaro Airport and. That 12 hours later, we set our foot on the mountain. So there wasn't much time to really talk about, well, what's this going to be like, with one exception. Um, what I did do is, is I told him, look, there's something that I'm working on as a communicator, a professional communicator, that I'd love to talk to you about, and this is something called meme theory. And my sort of game plan was that he and I could talk about this amazing theory of how people uh, learn and spread ideas. Uh, I'm a philosopher by nature and, and at heart, and that's really hardly what my, my, my son's go-to strengths are. But he was game. He said, yeah, sure, great. Let's talk about that. That'll give something to chat about on the mountain. Mm. So that was my game plan, to have a sort of Socratic dialogue and get to know him you know, on an intellectual level. But that's not at all how it turned out. Right, but, but that way it was less frightening for him, I'm sure. Well, and less frightening for me, too, to be honest. Uh, one thing that uh, my wife, Teresa, said to me before we started was, you know, 
you've got this whole plan that you're going to talk about meme theory, which is frankly kind of weird from from her point of view. Uh, but she said, you know, I think you haven't really faced it yourself, Tim, that you haven't really healed from this rift that you had with with Josh. And, you know, she made me start to really feel things before the trip um, got underway. And I, and I can confess, you know, yeah, I feel this unease. There's times that I don't really know what to say to my, my 20-year-old, that I yeah. don't know if I'm going to step out of bounds or if I'm I'm going to, you know, say something that makes them pull back from me. Right. Walking on eggshells. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know, and I think this is really such a good thing to talk about on this show, because here we are sitting on the campus of the University of California, Irvine, and we have kids who have felt alienated from their parents. That's that's part of growing up is when you, you know, kind of push yourself away from your the same sex parent or, you know, to, to grow up. Right. I mean, that's that's yeah. part of the grow up. But it's it's painful it's painful for the parents to to know that this is that there's this rift between you and you know we all go through it and yet and on the other side for those people who are driving by who have kids that they've felt that even if they haven't been divorced and of course when you're divorced it really exacerbates the situation cuz kids feel torn between parents and and then they kind of manipulate and and they feel manipulated so it's such a rough situation that to get beyond that um, is is such a heartwarming situation to just transform that. So h- how did you feel about your relationship at the start of the book? I mean, did you feel really alienated from him? Um, n- no, I, I wouldn't say that we were uh, really alienated. Uh, we got along fine. I just felt that we couldn't go too deep beneath the surface, and I don't—I couldn't even really put my my finger on it exactly. But you know, there were just sort of no-go areas, and I also felt, um, okay, so he's moving on now. He's in his, just finished his first year in college. He's not doesn't come back and stays with me when he returns to our, our house in Bethesda. He stays with his mom, so I see him. A, couple of times, and we did a couple of trips to Canada to visit my family, but then that sort of global group family time. Um, but I, I yearned for the closeness that he and I had, and we were really close when he was growing up. The weeks I had him alone, I was his mother and his father for much of that that mm-hmm. time. I was the only parent on on duty. And, mm-hmm. you know, but I did see, you know, this isn't just me and Josh. You know, every parent, when their kid separates and starts to go their own way, you know, how do you keep that connection. And the truth of the matter is, especially for fathers, you know, we connect to our kids by being their protector, by being the wise one who could advise them, and, oh, this is what you need in life, by setting boundaries. You know, that's the sort of the the dual role, protector, provider. But when your kids are, are moving off and into college, they don't like the advisor and they don't particularly want the protector of the provider either. They they want to feel their own way to, towards independence. But from the parent's point of view, it's like, well, then, where am I in this person's life? Where are the, 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 the cords in a positive sense that keep us joined, not bound, but, right. but joined together? And the truth of the matter is the kids want to break through those cords. They want to shake them off. Yes. Um, you know, the, the, uh, there's these beautiful Greek archetypes of conflict between fathers and sons amongst the gods, right? So, uh, you know, where Cronus wounds Uranus to become 
the master of the of, of the heavens, and then Zeus uh, wounds Cronus to take uh, <laughs> to take the throne again, and then Zeus himself is always very you know aware of who his sons might be and whether or not he might be overthrown. So this this um, archetype of the uh, the the child overthrowing the parent to establish his or her own identity is a, is an old thing that we all have in us. Yeah, and you know it's the same with with mothers and daughters too. A little yep. bit different, but it, it is the same kind of thing. And there's there's places that mothers can't talk about with their kids. You know that it's off limits that they can't tell them what to do anymore, and you have to ask. You want my opinion? And you know. right, exactly. <laughs> yes, and and the answer might be not really. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you know, I'll tell you what I want. Your, right, your right. Well, sometimes my kids will ask me. I have a son too, and sometimes they'll ask me, you know, uh, something, and I'll say, "Do you really want my opinion? Because if you do, I'll give it to you. But if you if you don't, then you know, don't just say what do you think, and then you're going to get mad at me with my answer. So, you know, if you really want my opinion, I'll give it to you. But yeah, it's been a, a learning experience for us as parents, hasn't it, as to boundaries. Yeah. What are yeah. the boundaries that we can have? And so, I, you know, I, I remember in your book when uh, Josh had got an altitude sickness. Now, how, how did that affect your, your journey inward and your journey outward? Mm-hmm. You know, um, outwardly, when he started getting altitude sickness, um, I was thrown straight back into parent mode, right? You know, yeah. how bad is it? I'm, I'm, I'm talking to his guide, you know, what needs to be done about this. Um, then the guide said, well, did you bring altitude sickness pills? And I didn't. Oh. And then I felt really like a, a terrible parent. <laughs> oh, my God, now my kid is suffering, and it's because I thought these pills weren't a good idea, weren't necessary, and I was beating myself up. And uh. then our guide, Fred, said, but fortunately, I've got some with me. <laughs> okay. Right? So I'm like, oh, thank God. And uh, I said, but wait a minute, what are the side effects? And Fred pulls out the bottle, and I, like, grab the bottle from his hand, and I'm reading the bottle, looking at the side effects. (laughs) (laughs) He's just sitting there looking at us. Like, give me that pill already. (laughs) (laughs) And literally, I had this this epiphany, Mari, this moment of insight. I'm looking at this bottle, and Fred is now talking to me. Our guide is now talking to me, saying, okay, so Josh, should you have to break the pill in half, and he should just take half a pill in the morning and half a pill um, at night. And I'm get, getting ready to do that. And then I look across at Josh, and he's, like, just looking at me with this, come on, Dad, expression in his face. And I literally froze, handed the bottle across the table to him, and just <laughs> shut up and let Fred explain to Josh what to do. And I realized, you know, he's old enough to take his own medicine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, that might, that was somewhat uh, of a breakthrough, right? <laughs> for, to at least realize, yeah, you know, to really, first of all, yeah, he is old enough. But second of all, to have to really accept, look, I can't get him up the mountain. No. Right? I can't carry him. I right. can't med medicate him. I can't make the call. Is your altitude sickness so bad we should turn back or not? Right. That's his call to make from the from the inside. And indeed, what else changed in in me is I saw Josh push through altitude sickness, very very bad headaches, like super migraines. Mm. Um, he described it as like having, you know, a nail pounded into the skull, one of those sorts of things, mm. for hours and hours while you're walking over rough terrain. Wow. You know, I saw him keep going through more pain than he's ever experienced in his life. And that gave me, you know, 
some real respect for him, and for him too, this was kind of became a rite of passage. Right. It was not easy for him right. to make this to make this climb. Not not at all. In fact, he told me it was the toughest thing he ever did in his life, and that's really an essential thing, especially for young young men, also for young uh, young women, but for young men who don't go through the same sort of changes of puberty that young women go to. For young men, how do you know when you've become a man? Right. Well, one way is to conquer something, to do something that you can only do that's tough and use your will to do it. Right, the rite of passage. Yeah, exactly. And it must have been kind of excruciating for you to see him in so much pain and not really be able to do anything about it, but to kind of let go and, and exactly. have him make the decisions. To have him make the decisions and realize that he's the one who's going to tough it out. And in a sense, to also realize all I can do is make it worse if he's also got to fight me off. Yeah, exactly. So not to be too solicitous, to just let him deal with it, which is tough. Yes, right? yeah, it's all that boundary stuff again. Exactly. There are times I just wanted to take him in my arms and say, it's going to be okay. Right. That would not have helped. <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't. So that was restraint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, this is really good to talk about these kinds of relationships with our kids because parent-child relationships can really be tough going through these ages. It's not like when they're two and three years old and they grab you and they hold you and they hug you and it's so easy and fun and just feels yeah. so good. It's like, oh, my gosh, it's so excruciating for parents you know, trying to, you know, be like the mother or the father bird kicking the kid out of the tree, you know, you got to yeah. make it on your own. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's a rough time. And I don't think you realize it until you have kids yourself, like what it must have been for your own parents, right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Boy, there were so many times during the conversations Josh and I were having about our own conflict where I kept throwing myself back into when I was 19 and 20. And I just needed to be away from my dad, yeah. right? I chose to go to university about 3,000 miles away from where my parents lived. And, um, y you know, for over six years, I saw them very infrequently. I lived far, far from uh, from the city that, uh, that I grew up in. And part of it was I really needed to establish my own identity on my own. And in, in the book, In Zombies on Kilimanjaro, my father... My own father actually ends up becoming a piece of the story. So I have sort of moments of reflection of the conflicts that he and I went through all through my life. And the resolution of some of those conflicts actually only came after I came down from Kilimanjaro. Yes, because had you had learned already. With Josh. Yeah, because you had already learned what yeah. it was like to be a dad. And, yeah. And, and could relate to your own dad, right? But, but also I saw... You know, I, I, also because of the ground Josh and I broke together, I realized where there was still the fracture in my relationship with my own father. Right. And in doing the work of healing it with Josh, I saw what needed to be done to begin healing it with my own dad. And my relationship with him changed a lot for what Josh and I went through on our way on our way up the mountain, which we haven't actually really gotten to the heart of this. Yeah, so uh, let's yet. do that. Let's do yeah. that. Let's get to it. But first, I just want to remind my audience who I'm speaking with. I'm speaking with Tim Ward, who is the author of Zombies on Kilimanjaro, A Father-Son Journey Above the Clouds. So now, get, let's get to the heart of it. Yeah. Go ahead, Tim. So we were talking about meme theory, this theory about how ideas spread. And I had sort of laid this back and forth schema out, and we'd have several conversations along the way. Uh, but of course, Josh's inputs into those conversations totally changed everything. 
And especially when we got to what's a very powerful meme. Now, meme is a way of of sharing an idea with someone else so that it's easy to pass on. I'm sure you've you've heard and your your uh, listeners have heard this term before. But one of the most powerful ways to share an idea is through a story. Right. And indeed, our own identities as people is all wrapped up in the stories that have been told about us by our parents, by our family, by our friends, mm-hmm. that we then believe is who we are. So our whole identity is shaped from the stories that we have about about who we are. And uh, I was talking to Josh about this and, and saying and one of the things that was part of my growing up was freeing myself from the stories that my parents told me about how our family was and how our life was. Uh, because there were there were ways in which I felt my own family stories were not honest, and I really craved that honesty. And, but as and I, also, we were, yeah, and also, you know, the past does not equal the present, and you have to remember that that you don't exactly. have to recreate the past. Exactly, and as so anybody who study histories know, if you don't understand the past, then you're actually prone to repeat it, right? Because you just fall into those patterns unconsciously. So understanding your stories is like knowing where you came from. And um, I realized how sort of understanding the stories of my own life changed me as a person. And also realized that Josh, really any young kid, the story they have of their life is partly bound by the stories of their mom and of their dad, who only appear on stage as mom and dad. Right. You know, Dad was only ever a fragment of who I am as a person, and indeed who I am as a larger person was largely part of the reasons his mom and I got divorced. And I realized Josh doesn't know anything about what drove his mom and I apart. Yeah, he was just a year old, right? He was. That's right. He was just a year old, and she and I um, had sort of politely made that a topic of non-conversation. But I thought, you know, now he's 20. He doesn't know what those stories are then his own life is going to have this blank space in it, or this ill-informed space. And so it occurred to me on the way up the mountain that there was a story I had to tell him, and that was the story of how he came to live the life that he did, just so that he could better figure out who he was, and and also so that um, he could see the dark side of, of his father. Yeah. And when I put it that way, see the dark side of his father, I realized... <laughs> Uh, there's another archetype, not just the Greek archetype, but there's another archetype that really was hitting me, and that's from Star Wars. Now, I actually just saw, <laughs> I just oh, yeah. saw Return of the Jedi last night on a rerun. Oh gosh! There's yeah. this amazing scene. I know that you know the one that yeah. I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Talk about father-son conflict. Yes. Luke yes. and Darth Vader are fighting to with the their, death with their sabers. Yeah. Right, with their lightsabers. Yeah. The father wants the son to come over to the, to the dark, dark side. side. Right. And fuse with him, right. the evil emperor, right? Right. But Luke refuses his father's invitation. It's like he refuses to join the family business, right? <laughs> <laughs> he stands his ground, and he's even willing to die rather than use his own hatred to fight to fight his father. Right. So, so, so what happens in the end? Um, he wounds his father. Ah. And then the emperor steps in, tries to kill Luke, but Darth Vader picks the emperor up and kills him. Yep. But then Darth Vader himself is dying. This is the moment that, to me, was key, Mari, that I realized yeah. on my way up the mountain. Yeah. Luke is holding Vader in his arms, and Vader says to him, Luke, take off my helmet. He says, but Father, you'll die. He says, I'm dying anyway. I want to see you with my own eyes. Mm. Yep. And, and he 
removes and Luke removes the helmet, but not only is Vader looking with his own eyes, he's revealing the scarred and misshapen head, his true features right. to his son. Right? Right. What a powerful moment of intimacy. Yes. But this is what it costs if you're the father. Can you remove the mask and let your son see who you really are yes. so that he can know his own story? Yes, yes. And you don't really have to go to Kilimanjaro <laughs> on that harsh <laughs> landscape to do that, do you? <laughs> you don't. Any, I think any father, son, mother, daughter, they can have these conversations. For me, I think it was great being in a place where we literally couldn't escape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you know, that's really true. Like, I like to take my kids away where they can't go and be with their friends because then we are stuck together, whether we're sitting down or in a jacuzzi or whatever we're doing. It, it, you're absolutely right. Just to, to take them away from something where they can't get distracted. Yes. You know, well, and also where you as the parent can't chicken out. Yes. <laughs> There's no way for me to run either. Yeah, exactly. Tell me, did Josh read the book? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he, he did, in fact. Um, he read several drafts along the way to help me make sure that I was getting his tone of voice right. Oh. And in some cases, just going back and saying, you know, that wasn't how I remember it. This is how I remember this piece of our, of our conversation. So he was, he was really helpful in the, in the, in the writing um, writing of it. And um, I, I did want to say, though, Mari, that uh, it took, for me, a lot of nerve to tell him about what drove his mom and I apart, because the heart of that was the se sexual dysfunction between the two of us that led me um, into a path of adultery. Mm. Not stuff that I'm, I'm proud of in my life, but stuff that was, I felt, important for Josh to know. And he told me he did know that, you know, adultery was what broke me and his mom up. And he told me that he'd always held, that he held a grudge against me since he knew that. That for him, that kind of betrayal was like the worst thing that you could do to someone. Right. And he had this grudge. He had this wall up against me that was this grudge against me and his mom. But by telling him the story of what really happened, which was, uh, well, it's at the heart of this book. Yeah. It was coming to terms with my own shadow for in a Jungian sense, my own dark side, Yes, living that out for a while in a way that was very, very painful. But yeah. at the other end of it, when she and I split, made me decide that I was going to stay and be around as his parent rather than go away. Believe me, there was a part of me that really wanted to just yeah, run. Yeah, leave forever. Right? Yeah. His, his yeah. mother said, I don't want you here. I want you to just leave us alone. Right. Um, and I said, no, I'm staying. And uh, I built my life around being Josh's uh, father for many, for many years. But now, He uh, was able to forgive you, wasn't he? He heard me out. And, and when we were done, he told me that he had this grudge. And, and he said, and I remember the words very clearly, he said, now that I've heard your story, I can see your humanity. Aww. And then he, was, then he said, and I want you to know, I forgive you, Dad. Oh, that is so sweet. Well, we are just about out of time. I wanted to thank you so much, and I want you to just give your website and the name of your book again. And it's really something that I think people, especially dads and, and sons, would get a, a very heartwarming time to read this. It's, it's really worthwhile reading. So thank you so much for joining us. And just give your website again. Sure, Mary. It's www.zombiesonkilimanjaro.com. 
www.thepowerofpositivity.com. And that's also the name of the book. Yeah. Thank you so much. And keep up the great work. And let me know about the next book you're writing. It'll be great to have you back. Thank you, Murray. My pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Murray Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at conflicthealing.com where you can see our upcoming guests, download podcasts, and write us emails about what you're concerned about with conflict in your own life. Thank you for joining us. See you next week. expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.